I want to I want to let you know this morning before I start um, telling you what what's on my heart this morning and and what I've prepared to say to you that I can see the burdens that you carry and I think maybe that's just one of the things that that God does to help you when you are leading a group of people and you're you're held responsible for their spiritual health and well-being the Lord allows you to see the burdens that they carry so that you can have compassion and you can pray for them and love them. And so I want to tell you this morning that I do see uh, the burdens that you carry. And, you know, we all do. We all carry burdens. Perhaps the heaviest burden that we all carry is the burden of our own flesh. The battles that we fight throughout the week are the battles of ourself. It's the battle of self. It's probably the most challenging and most difficult uh, spiritual battle that we all face. I mean, I include myself in that and you, it's all of us. And so I just want you to know that I see that, I care about that, I love you, and we're all in this together to serve the Lord and get to that place that he's called us to be. This series is really about those things. It's called Me. And today, the title of my talk is Feed Me. It's a series about focus, being focused. Why all the mirrors? Well, because you look in a mirror, and if it's focused, what do you see? You see yourself. So it's dealing with me. We all live in a town called Meville. Meville has a population of one. Self-pity is the house that is built by self. And depression and hopelessness are its next-door neighbors. Self is the stuff that we're made of. It's who we are. It's automatic. Nobody needs to be taught to be selfish. We have that one down. We get it. We are self. It's the very definition of humanity, self and selfishness. No other being on the earth is more focused on self than man. And everything around him is in utter destruction as a result of that focus. You could say that self is the autopilot of humanity. It's what drives us. It's man's basic instinct. It's the common ground of humanity. It's our nature. We're consumed with ourselves and our own wishes and dreams and feelings and thoughts. We come out of the womb in self and we enter the grave in self. Have you ever noticed that when you were born, shortly after your birth, you started wearing diapers? And someday you may wear them again. I know that's a terrible thought. And then when you were an infant, you couldn't sleep through the night, most likely. And you would get up through the night. And you notice now as you get older, you're getting up through the night and can't sleep through the night. That you eat meals when you're a child and an infant, you eat meals when you're hungry and not at the regular times. And as you get older, you're having dinner at 3 o'clock 
and breakfast at 5 a.m.? Have you noticed that a child and an infant is cranky and uptight if they don't get their way? And how cranky and uptight you get when you don't get your way? You were carried around by your parents when you were a child and an infant. And guess what? One day, you'll be carried around by your children. It's weird, isn't it? How those things come full circle in life. And you're always faced with it. You're always confronted by this thing called you. Self is the single greatest destructive force on the universe. A 20 years of marriage and family counseling prove that to be true. I have seen nothing more destructive in anyone's life than the power of self run amok, run wild with no barriers, no fences. The deepest darkest sins that we commit are committed in self. The Apostle Paul was wrestling with this very thing himself and looking into the mirror and seeing his own soul and his own heart. And he cried out in a loud voice and he said this, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And doesn't that say it all? Who hasn't looked in the mirror and cried out like that? Who hasn't walked away from a conversation in total disgust at self? Why? Why did I say that? Or walked away from an event and said, Why did I go there? Why did I do that? We've all felt that shame and guilt and heaviness of regret and, and disappointment that self got out of control and did something that we didn't want him to, that embarrassed us. In Galatians chapter 5 and 19 and 21, it says very clearly that when you follow the desires of your sinful nature... The results are very clear. This is what you get. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. When it comes to self and the flesh and the sinful nature, the Bible advocates only one action. And you may be surprised by it. There are a lot of suggestions floating out there as how to deal with the self in your own life. And there are many. But the Bible only gives one. The Bible says very clearly... That self simply must die. Death to self, that's the only way you must kill that ugly thing. 
I love the illustration of this scene that happens in Star Trek. And if you're not a Trekker or a Trekkie, something's wrong with you. Or maybe it's the other way around. I happen to love Star Trek, all of it, old, new, everything in between, all the movies. I own them all. I've watched them all 20 times. I love Star Trek. And there's a scene in one of the movies where they are on this planet called Genesis. And the planet is created with this Genesis project. And they find out that it's flawed and it's falling apart and it is blowing up. Well, Kirk and a few of his companions are stuck on that planet along with some Klingons. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, the Klingons are the bad guys. Kirk is the good guy. He's the hero. He's captain. And the whole thing comes to a head in this final scene where Kirk and the head Klingon are fighting it out. And they're on this planet and, and there's, there's fire going everywhere and pieces are coming up and down and, and earthquakes and it's just this incredible scene. And finally the Klingon is hanging on the edge of the cliff. You know, the classic scene. He's got one hand, a few fingers clinging to life. He's going to fall down a thousand feet into the cliff. And Kirk reaches down in one last gesture of goodwill and grabs his hand and says, come on, hold on, I'll, I'll pull you up or you'll die. And the Klingon reaches for his knife and he's going to still fight Kirk to the end. So he lets go of that hand and he sits back and this is the greatest part. He takes the, one of those, his boots, you know those boots they wear, he's just great boots. And he starts kicking him in the face and he said, I have had enough of you. And then off he goes into the abyss. That's how you deal with self. Do you know that? Do you feel that? I have had enough of you. Galatians 5, 24 says it probably in a different way. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. See, that's what a Christian does with self. Self's only purpose is to be nailed to that same cross that crucified Jesus Christ. Death to self. Jesus is the answer. Jesus was crucified on the cross so that you and I could walk free from self, that we could live a life free, dominated by this destruction that happens because of self. It's the freedom to live a better life, a different way. Galatians 5, 13 and 14. You, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Don't lose your freedom to satisfy the sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
If you have a Bible this morning, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 10. And if you don't have one with you, you can uh, look at the Bibles in the chairs in front of you and turn to page 623. This story is the ending point on a series that Jesus is giving on the way of the Christian life. Laying out for us the path that a Christian takes, the kind of life that a follower of Jesus Christ should live and can live. It starts in chapter 9 and verse 51 and goes all the way through the end of chapter 10. Verse 25 is where I'll begin. It says this, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. The lawyer. Figures. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right! Good job! Almost a a surprise there, isn't it? Jesus said to him, Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify his actions, and so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. When he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over. And looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I am here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes. Now go and do the same. Now, this story is a parable. And a parable is not a story that actually happened. Jesus is making this up. He's pulling this out of thin air, out of, out of perhaps things that he has witnessed. But it's a single story to, sell, to say or teach a single truth. So there's some hermeneutics for you this morning. It's a short story to say one truth. And the parable of the Good Samaritan is a parable that is known throughout the entire world as the ultimate example of loving your neighbor. Anywhere you go, 
people recognize this parable. And if we're talking about focus this morning in this series, the Christian life can be easily focused on two simple things. And we see them here in the text. One, love God. Love God with everything within you. So say that with me this morning. Love God. There you go. You've got it. That's what it's about. The second thing is love your neighbor as yourself. Say that with me. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we see that a life devoted to self will make you fail at both of those things. The essence of this parable is the way of the Christian life. And the story has hidden depths. But the key is in the initial question. What must be done to inherit eternal life? One, you must love God. But lest we think that we can earn salvation by being good, Jesus makes the story impossible. He makes it impossible. It's almost like he's saying that the leopard needs to change the color of his spots. And you understand that when you see who he's dealing with. The men he was speaking to were Jews. The man who was innocently robbed and attacked was a Jew. The men who passed him by, all three men, were the elite of the Jewish society. But the man who helped him was a Samaritan. And the Jews hated the Samaritans. And the Samaritans hated the Jews. And so Jesus is confronting self head on with this scenario. For you and I, it would be perhaps something like Hitler was attacked by bandits and fell into a pit. And a Holocaust survivor whose entire family was tortured and burned up in concentration camps. And he alone was the survivor, walked by and helped Hitler in the pit. Or perhaps Rush Limbaugh was attacked by bandits and laying in the pit. And Harry Reid came by and helped him out. Angelina Jolie fell in a pit and was robbed and beaten. And Jennifer Aniston walked by. And how, why is this funny? Dogs and cats, cats and mice, mice and elephants. You see what he's doing here? He's saying, I know this is so unlike you. This is out of your nature. This is beyond you. This isn't even in your character. You can't do this. It's like two teenagers sitting behind you in a movie theater, talking, texting, and kicking your seat. Or the guy who drives on the shoulder 
to get in front of you in the line on the highway in rush hour. Sometimes I wish that he would blow a flat and hit the guardrail. Jesus not only confronts our prejudice, our racism, our bigotry, but he takes on self head on. And so he looks at the self in man and shows us how ugly it is. If you want eternal life, he says, then love God with all of your heart. But the true evidence of that love will be how you treat your enemies. How you love the people around you. The proof of your devotion to Christ is found in your love for the people around you. The lawyer had one thing right. The thing he had right is that he knew that salvation was an inheritance. And that is true. You can't earn it. You inherit it from Christ. Do you know why sharks don't eat lawyers? Right. Professional courtesy. You know what the difference is between a good lawyer and a great lawyer? A good lawyer knows the law. A great lawyer knows the judge. I digress. The only way to inherit eternal life is through Jesus Christ and finding faith in him. And the parable of the Good Samaritan is the way of Jesus. It's his way. It's the way Jesus would live and would want us to live. A life lived looking beyond self. It's very difficult to do. And you cannot do it as long as self is alive. It's 27 days to Easter. And all men have been attacked by bandits. All men. All women. Every person you know is carrying a heavy burden of some sort. Has been knocked down by life. Has experienced failure and hardship and difficulty and trials and challenges. Every person you know. And you are that person in their life that can demonstrate the love of God to them. But only if you will allow compassion to touch you this morning. Compassion to fill your soul and your heart to see that those who are around you need that healing touch that Jesus provides. Perhaps the most neighborly, loving thing you can do for anyone is to invite them to meet Jesus. I think perhaps it will be the number one thing that is celebrated in heaven. As people finding people 
who were introduced to Jesus and thanking them over and over. I'm here because you invited me to the Easter program, and I thank you so much. And my whole family is here with me. It's because you were my neighbor. One of the greatest opportunities that you have right before you this morning is this little invitation card. Who around you and who do you know has been attacked by bandits and just needs hope? Just needs one opportunity to hear about a message of hope and find Jesus as their Savior. This past week, a couple of the pastors and myself met with two other churches in our community, and the purpose of our meeting was to get together and pray and strategize about reaching our community, our whole community. And uh, not just the influence of our three churches, but the whole thing. And I tell you, it's very exciting because we can sense all of us, everybody was in agreement, God is in this. That God is doing something today, that there's a harvest that God is wanting to reel in greater than perhaps we have seen in all of our lifetimes. But it begins with you and me and a simple invitation for somebody to meet Jesus. Jesus. 